0: Hi, everyone. This is Maxine Ryan with Prosper Podcast, and today's special guest is Nikki Dunn. Nikki is an active stock market investor and certified financial planning professional. Nikki also has an incredible YouTube channel called She Talks Finance, which is an amazing resource for those getting started on their financial journey. In this podcast, we're going to learn from Nikki's 10 years of experience of helping thousands of professionals learn how to build wealth and create financial freedom from themselves. So I'm really excited to be speaking to Nikki today. Nikki, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it.
0: Yeah. um, You know, when we got connected and I was kind of like learning more about you, something that really, I guess, spoke to me and I'm sure to many other people was just like how personal your money journey is and how much that really does integrate into your mission of, you know, helping thousands of people every day um, learn about finance and be financially free. You know, what is your money story? Cause I think a lot of people would love to hear it.
1: Yeah. So um, it's funny cause my money story <laughs> go pretty deep, but for the sake of time um, I came from humble beginnings And my parents struggled with money. I actually, my first memory of money and just wealth in general was being on the bus stop. And I always lived in the poor children's neighborhoods. You know, the poor, you had the poor kids and you had the rich kids. I was a poor kid. (laughs) You know, I got dropped off in the neighborhoods that uh, were duplexes and apartments and in the bad parts of town sometimes. And, um, what I would notice was when I was on the bus stop, I would notice the kids getting dropped off at the neighborhoods that had really nice houses. They had two car garages and three car garages and gated communities. And it was, um, it was always something in my mind where I was like, even though I, I was young and I didn't really understand money and wealth at all, I knew that those kids had more than me. And I knew that my parents struggled and, and, had a lot less. So it, it was this weird thing mentally that happened to me as a child that, that um, sparked my interest in money and then watching my parents fight all the time over money um, and ultimately divorcing over money and going bankrupt over money. <laughs> so, you know, all of that kind of compounded over the years. And when I was very young, I just somehow developed this drive that was like, one day I'm going to be rich. One day I'm going to be able to retire my parents. One day I'm going to do all of these things. I'm going to climb the corporate ladder. You know, at the time that was my definition of becoming successful: climbing the corporate ladder. So, um, yeah, that's kind of how where I came from and how my interest in money started. And then I ended up, um, when I was in high school, I ended up meeting my now husband. He's my high school sweetheart. And it just so happened that he had just got done reading the book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And um, I'm sure a lot of people have heard of of that book. It's a classic money book. And we started talking about it and we got into The cash flow game, which is like a board game that Robert Kiyosaki actually created. Yeah. And we used to play it in high school. And we were literally learning in high school about getting out of the rat race, getting out of debt, like getting a good job or getting real estate and figuring out how to cash flow. And so yeah, I mean, that's that's kind of where it all started.
0: Yeah, it's um, you know, I think like when I heard your story, it' I personally really related to it simply because I was also in a very similar boat to you where, um, you know, like my mom, like single parent, she had was just like kind of scraping by to get me into like a decent school. And at that school, I saw like such a huge difference between like my life and the kids' lives there, but it almost gave me a chance to be like, Oh, like that's what life can be like. And it also like created a lot of drive for me and, it was the same thing, like, you know, when you're living in a household where money is the only thing that people are caring and talking about it, and it always seems like there's never enough, and it kind of leaves you in this place of, um, like, for me, at least a lot of fear, and I think that at the beginning, that was kind of what changed a lot, so um, I really love that you're kind of, like, using that to empower, like, your your interest in finance and, like, doing this all yourself, um, but, you know, like, how did you go from like learning about personal finance, to applying it to yourself and then helping other people?
1: Well, it all years ago, basically I um, got involved in financial education, but it was more so on the stock market day trading side. And, you know, I learned from others and then I ended up uh, teaching. And uh, my husband and I ran a business um, doing trading education. And so that's kind of where I started and I day traded and, you know, learned the ins and outs of the markets, learned the ins and outs of the futures market first, then the stock market and um, so on and so forth. So that's kind of where my journey started. And then I moved into, Small, I moved into financial planning. I moved into actually teaching myself all of these different things and working with accountants and working with small businesses and um, teaching them how to basically save on taxes mm-hmm. and be able to maximize their own wealth. And that's kind of how I got into like the financial planning stuff and then the personal finance side. And then from there, it <laughs> It evolved into I was literally having conversations with my friends, my my best friends. Uh, We do a girls trip every year. And somehow one year, you know, as, as I'm learning the things I'm learning, I decided to like pull my friends casually and say, Hey, have you ever heard of this kind of account? Have you ever heard of a high yield savings account? Where are you putting your savings? And what do you, are you investing? Like, yeah. uh, what do you, how much do you put into your 401k? And I'm like asking them these very intrusive questions. And obviously I, I promise I'm cooler than that. Like on a girls <laughs> trip, I promise I'm not that nerdy, but I was in my my learning process and teaching People And I wanted to see like the, what the people around me knew, because I realized that a lot of people knew nothing or very little about um, personal finance and money management. And when I realized how much people didn't know, that's what catapulted me into into what I'm doing now, which is the financial planning side and the personal finance side uh, and the investing side of, of education. Um, and so I just even even recently I had an experience where I was talking to someone who's older, who's actually retired. They ended up uh, a retired firefighter, and they were telling me this story about something they couldn't get the answer to a personal finance question. It had to do with health insurance if you aren't able to get Medicare yet. And it took this person months and months and months of, of, of hard research. Of stressing out over it, of not knowing for sure if the answers they were getting were accurate, and I, t- I told them, I said, "Oh my gosh, you could have just called me. I would have yeah. had this done for you within a half hour." Yeah. And 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 it's just those little those little incidents have happened to me over and over over the years, and it made me realize like there's a solid need for sound organized <laughs> education from a trusted per- person you know or professional yeah. and um yeah i don't know that's like my long-winded answer to that
0: question no it's um it's it's interesting you said that because there there seems to be so much information out there but it's about how people are able to access this information and understand the information, because it seems as though the information is kind of um, not made for like the everyday person. It seems that the accessibility of it is quite difficult for somebody who, you know, they might be, they're just not in finance. Um, Mm -hmm. But, you know, like, why don't we like go back a little bit and I think the one main thing that prevents people from getting started in their personal finance journey is, you know, just the anxiety around money in the first place. do you think that there's anxiety around building wealth? Do you think that, what, what what do you think is kind of preventing people from taking those first steps?
1: Absolutely, there's anxiety around money and building wealth for a lot of people. It's overwhelming. I mean, thinking back to my friend who it took her, you know, months to figure out this certain finance thing that was very important in her life. And to talk to a professional was very expensive. And then that, you know, it's like, not only are, are people anxious about money because of not knowing, like not knowing where to start, not knowing where the beginning is because there's so much of it. I mean, it, it's, it's a, such a broad topic. Even I, as a financial, as a certified financial planner, even I every day am learning things because things are always changing. And I think it's, it's, it's that, and it's also it's also people sometimes feeling that they can't because they don't have X or they don't make X or they don't have enough wealth yet for it to matter. And so they may not, they, they're in debt and they may not be thinking, oh, this is for me. Like learning how to manage my money and invest is for me because of that self-limiting you know limiting belief. And the fact of the matter is everybody, no matter if you're on a lower income spectrum or a high income spectrum, there's room for financial planning. There's room for tax planning. There's room for all of those things. Guess what? Lower income individuals if you keep your income under a certain amount. There's tax credits that you're eligible for, for contributing to retirement or just general tax credits that help your, yeah. you know, come off of your income. And so there's some, thing for everybody and i think a lot of people just aren't aware of that and then that you know that that keeps them from moving forward
0: yeah i i think it was warren buffett i can't remember as one of, one of those investors but he was saying that uh, warren buffett said that he paid less taxes than his secretary and you know is that because maybe the secretary doesn't have the access to the information that allows her to like reduce her taxes and things like that, like the rich do. What do you think are the differences between, you know, the rich kind of understanding how to play the game, so to speak, and maybe like those who are on lower income, are they just like kind of like looking at as what it is? Oh, I have to pay this and not like taking advantages of those, I guess, whatever is accessible out there.
1: Yeah, I think it's a few things. I think for one, wealthy people invest. And by investing, you get low capital gains taxes, you know, versus ordinary income. Like if you're working, you are stuck paying ordinary income taxes. So I think that that is a big part of it. I also think that business owners um, have a leg up. Business owners, real uh, real estate investors, They have a leg up with their tax situation. Um, Now, I will say people that work and take W-2 income, they work for a job, there's things that they can do as well, absolutely. But people that own businesses, they can, usually there's some type of creative way that you can either get your tax bill down a lot or eliminate it completely with certain strategies. So, I I do think that it it just, that that's what I think it is. And obviously having access to a professional that can advise you helps a lot. And people that don't have people that have lower income aren't as willing to pay for that um, assistance. And so they don't learn, so they don't learn those things. But what I try to tell people is you can learn on your own and you really can help yourself. It just it does take a little bit of work, but once you like learn how taxes are calculated, you know most people don't know the sequence of where gross income becomes taxable income and all the things that happen in between there. But it's really like learnable. I like yeah. I teach it in my training. Like I, I promise, it's learnable. <laughs> and once you once you understand that flow of income, you're like oh if i contribute more to my 401k even though i work for somebody if i add if i put more in there that'll lower my my agi which lowers my taxable income yeah. and you know it's like the flow and just knowing those few little things is what really helps you kind of get a leg up
0: yeah um i think this is like a great point to talk about like where the responsibility for financial literacy lies because i think like when i I've been looking into the subject, I see that it's partially generational. Like we see that there's some generations that are richer than others. And um, I think it's like this whole four generations. So it's like you have the generation that built the wealth, you have the generation that gets the wealth passed on, but they don't necessarily pass on those lessons to the next generation. And then that generation kind of spends the rest of the money and like the cycle kind of, I guess, repeats itself. that was more focused on, you know, parents teaching wealth. And I know that in Asia, they also focus a lot on, you know, parents kind of teaching these things because they know that school doesn't. But in the U.S. perspective, like where, how does financial literacy get taught at the moment? And do you think that there's room for improvement?
1: It doesn't get taught at the moment. Um, there are organizations, nonprofits trying to fight for that. There are uh I think that it's now coming to the forefront and the attention that, hey, we need to teach kids in our schools about financial literacy and how to adult, essentially, you know, Um, how to adult with money. But it's not taught. It's all on the parents or the actual student themselves to find that motivation, kind of like I did when I was a teenager, you know, I had to find that motivation, um, myself. So unfortunately, I mean, here's the thing. There are people that have very successful parents who are very good with money, um, who can teach their children all the right things. And sometimes people just take on bad money habits despite that. And then you have the opposite end of the spectrum where, you know, parents are teaching their kids and their kids are getting it and grasping it. I think more of that probably happens than the other. More people, uh, you, you know, like I think that more parents that are trying to teach their children, their t- children will probably, probably learn a thing or two and take, take on those lessons and carry it on with them. But there, there is also a small percentage of people that sometimes things just get ingrained
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, and you can't really change it very easily. That's where kind of behavioral finance comes into play. Um, So I think that we're starting to see this as a major issue in the US, and schools are starting to, uh, we're starting to battle schools and say, hey, you guys got to do something about this because (laughs) our kids are coming out of high school drowning in debt because they didn't know that a 7% interest rate on a $150,000 $150,000 student loan was going to be like owning a house at 21, you yeah. know, so uh, owning a house, but twice as expensive in terms of interest. So those are the little, and I, I what I say, what I mean by that is in reference to the payment, you know, like yeah. your, your teenager comes out of, uh, or you come out of college. And if your student loan interest is really high over time, that's just, you can't get out from under that. For, yeah. for many people. And so, yeah, I think that uh, we're starting to see that shift.
0: Yeah, it's, um, I think that like what's happened is that people kind of see that, you know, because like society isn't financially literate, it's creating a massive impact and like a massive reliance on government. And I think like government is finally being like, oh my gosh, like if we don't fix this issue, then it's just going to have this snowball effect into kind of affecting a lot of areas in life, because if you're not, I guess, like, you know, financially stable, that affects everything, it affects your relationships, your mental health, like your housing. Um, but yeah, I, I'm looking forward to kind of seeing that change happen over time. You know, you've you've spoken, I think, about building the foundations, um, but I think people just at the beginning, they they even struggle to understand what a goal could mean for themselves, because I guess like when as a society like when we we're setting goals we try to look at people who are like you know that we admire and we look up to and that gap between where maybe like an average person is and you know a a very i guess successful rich person just seems like a very big gap um how how should one go about setting their money journey goals for themselves
1: so the start of that is thinking about not thinking about what society has told you you should accomplish, you know, Oh, you need to have X amount in a retirement account by X age and you need to do this, this, and this, and you need to own a house and pay off a house. My, my thought on that is you have to truly get introspective and think about what makes you actually happy every day to do and think about, If all the money, if you had all the money in the world, what would you do with that day? Mm -hmm. And so I, I call it your perfect average day exercise. And by doing that, you got, you have to allow yourself to dream a little bit, but it really gets you thinking about like, oh, okay. I am not limited by this thought. Let me dream a little bit. Let me see what I do really want. And then from there, you figure out ways to get there. Because I think a lot of people stop themselves there because they think it's impossible. But there could always be some adjustment that you can make. You know, if you want to travel, okay, maybe you can do that. But maybe you can't travel in luxury and stay at the Ritz all the time. But you can do it in a different way, in a more economical way. Um, If you want to just... Be close to your kids and your grandkids, um, and you know where you you know where you want to be set in life. You know you want to live in you know Florida or whatever. Work towards okay. Let's work towards getting you that house so that you can have the house paid off, so that when you're older and close to retirement, that's going to be you're not going to have to worry about it, and you'll be close to your family, and you'll get what you want. It's all about letting yourself dream a little bit. And if you don't know what you want, don't use that as an excuse to not do anything. Because if you don't know what you want, here's what you here's what I can promise you: you'll need money <laughs> no matter what. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. so there's still something to work towards. It's working towards flexibility. If you if you aren't quite sure of what specific goal you're trying to achieve, you're working towards flexibility to be able to choose that later. And then you can drill goals down even further. You know, there's retirement goals and then there's short-term goals. And there's short-term goals like saving for a house, paying down student loan debt. I say the first step is looking at your whole financial picture and figuring out, okay, here's the, here are the, here's the debts that I have. Here are the interest rates that those debts are. Uh, not all debt is bad debt, you know yeah. let 's get this high interest rate debt gone, and then we can move towards even though i don 't know what I want in retirement or I do if you 're either or work towards getting invested and getting that nest egg built up so that you can have that flexibility yeah
0: so. yeah i mean i I can't wait to get more into that it um it's been interesting because it 's like the more I kind of like research in this field and I'm trying to be in the perspective of somebody who is maybe just getting started, there's just so much information out there that you're like, whoa, like I'm not even sure what my own goals are. So like, that's just such great advice. Um, So, you know, now that people know what their goals are, you know, I think you're you're saying like deviate from this whole black and white thinking. The whole point is just being flexible and knowing what's right for you and like, you know, one step at a time. Um, but where do they go from there? Like what are the different areas of personal finance that people can kind of get an understanding of?
1: I think the first place to go is cash flow management and allocation. So like, once you figure out your, your balance sheet is essentially your assets and your liabilities, you know, so that you understand what your net worth actually is. Once you're there, you need to think about what cash flow do you have? Is it positive or negative? And cash flow is money left over after your expenses. Um, is it positive or negative? If it's negative, how can I get it positive? If it's positive, where should I put this money? And let me not be, you know, let me be thoughtful and intentional about it and not just go spending money. Oh, I've got some cash flow. Let me go, you know, (laughs) do this, this and this. Like, no, before you do that, let's look at where you need to be and get you invested or figuring out how much to put towards certain investment accounts or figuring out how much to allocate to a bigger goal, which is like paying for a wedding or Going on a big trip, so I would say cash flow. Really understanding and knowing your cash flow and learning how to allocate it to reach all of your goals is like the first foundational step. And then from there, you move into retirement planning and investing, which is it's hard for a lot of people to think about retirement planning. Yeah, <laughs> because <laughs> it like we're so far. It does, but it's not like <laughs> that's the crazy thing. Uh yeah, life goes by fast, man. It, yeah, it really uh, comes does. at you fast. Uh anywho, you know, I um I I think that it's it's hard to to think about it, but the younger you are, <laughs> the better for you, for your future self, because you've got that time to let investments and compound interest work. So I know it's hard, but it's just one of those
0: things. What um you know, I, I think like, you know, people watching this, they might be thinking about having a family. Um, and what, what as a parent can one do to, you know, help their kids start early with investing? Like, is that something that you would, I guess, like advise like a parent to be interested in? Because you, know, you said, you know, the more time the better, because then you can compound. How can a parent, um, you know, get their kid starting, starting early?
1: Great question. And yes, I do think that if if parents are willing, I think that that's great to do. Um, A few ways to do it is, you know, when you give an allowance, you can uh, give them options like, hey, teach them. Okay, you can either save this money, teach them about compound interest, like in a way kids understand, like, hey, if you put this money into a savings account or in an investment In 10 years, you'll have this much more, you know, or find some fun way to do it, you know. Uh, Or you could maybe work with them and teach them about investing by letting them invest shares in companies that they love. I mean, kids love consumer brands. They love Nike. They love um, Roblox, you know, they trust me, they, they know what's cool and what's not. And, um, introducing them and saying, Hey, I know you love Roblox. Did you know that you can invest in Roblox? Yeah. You know, and you can own a bit of Roblox. Yeah. You can own some of this company that you're spending all of my money on. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I I'm kidding, but I know kids spend a lot of parent money on that. app. Yeah. They really do. (laughs) Yeah. You know, just fun little things like that to just get them familiar with, what investing is, what compound interest is, and what savings is, because those are really
0: the three biggest things. Yeah. So I guess it's like, um, you know, I deviated a little bit because I was just like really interested in what your take would be on there. So you're saying, you know, know what your balance sheet is, like your cash flow, and then start looking into investing. Um, What areas of investing are there?
1: Well, in terms of asset classes, um, there are many asset classes to invest in. There's real estate. There are equities, also known as stocks. There are bonds, which uh, is essentially debt that you're getting paid interest on to be the lender, okay. essentially. Um and then there are things like commodities, like gold and silver, which have become really popular as the inflation narrative has has come has peaked its head. Yeah. Uh, cryptocurrencies, I think uh, they officially can probably be considered an asset class at this point. I think Morgan Stanley actually came out and said yeah. that they officially are, according to them. So. Um, What am I missing? Businesses, like your own business or other businesses, maybe startups, you know? Mm -hmm. Uh, So those are some of the, some of the main things that you can invest in.
0: Yeah. And like, in your opinion, is financial freedom possible for anyone? Like, is, is that kind of a goal that anybody can achieve? Or is it that, you know, sometimes just shooting for like financial stability can be enough for some people?
1: So here's my take on this financial freedom, by definition, at least what we've been told is it's the ability to live off of passive income and it covers your bills and you don't have to work. I say, and you, you use the word financial freedom and financial stability. I guess I kind of, I kind of have merged the two to create this, this viewpoint that people can have financial freedom while working or while yeah. doing something that they love or while maybe their income or maybe their income is not fully passive. It's half and half or, you know, even fully active income. I, I just, I've shied away from that thinking that financial freedom is only living uh, your passive investments, covering your expenses, because I I'm I work. I am running businesses. I'm financially free, you yeah. know, completely, but I'm doing what I love, you know? Yeah. Um, so I think that it's just re, uh, uh, reframing it. And I do think that anybody can achieve financial freedom. I think that it's just on different scales, right? Like someone who has Lower income probably has lower expenses. If they start investing in making the right moves early enough in their lives, by retirement, they probably can have a paid mm. off house, a stream of income via Social Security, which hopefully will be, you know, at least still something. It'll be something as long as people are paying Social Security tax. Yes. Um, and then, hey, it's a stream of income. It's, it's a supplement, Right. And then they may have an IRA or a 401k that over the years has built up to a pretty significant um, nest egg for them. And hey, if you get to retirement or even close to retirement, you may be in a situation where you can, you do feel like you have financial freedom. You can quit your job. You can, you know, do all of these things. So for me, it's just scales, different, you know, it's the spectrum, so to speak.
0: Um, You know, it's, it's, it's really interesting that you said that you've like merged the two, because I think like whenever I have looked at like the literature or like the opinions around this, it's like, no, there's like you're financially stable. So that's all your bills covered. And then there's like being financially free. And I think your one is actually more accurate for like the everyday person and it makes it more achievable too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So, you know, like when I, when I speak to kind of the younger generation, Mm -hmm. A lot of them are like, you know, how my, my parents are telling me to buy a house, like how am I meant to buy a house if like real estate's so expensive. And, um, you know, do you think that investments investment opportunities are generational? Because it seems that if like real estate's too expensive for the younger generation, they're kind of looking more into something that's more achievable, like stocks. So what do you think?
1: I think every, obviously millennials have had, have had it rough Mainly due to inflation of healthcare and uh, of education of college. I mean, it's the it's in the numbers. The tuition inflation is crazy. Um, so I I do think that that's been a real burden on millennials. But with that said, I also think that there are generational investment opportunities. You know. Each generation kind of gets their own big idea in our parents' generation, which would be the boomers. I mean, I don't know how old you are, but for me it'd be the boomers. You know, they had the rise of big tech. They had the rise of communications, you know, of AT&T and us getting cell phones and all of these, all of these things. Uh, so their portfolios have done really well because of that complete technological shift we've had. Mm. And now we're looking at these companies have now matured, you know, the market is looking for new innovation. What's our opportunity? Well, our opportunity from here is we may get self-driving cars. Yeah. You know, we may get a bunch of other things. We may get a metaverse where you can like shop in a metaverse. And I, I don't even know how to Properly explain it, but uh, the what I from what I hear, like that's the future apparently. Um, I think that we're going to have our own set of opportunities. We have cryptocurrency, which hey, hate it or love it, it doesn't matter. It's in the price, it's in the numbers. Crypto, I mean, Bitcoin alone has been a, a monster returns for people that invested yeah. in this early. It's still providing monster returns for people and monster losses. You have to know what you're doing. You have to know what you're dealing with and how to invest in it. Um, So I think that we have our own opportunities that our parents didn't have that could bring us that same wealth. So that's just kind of how I think about it.
0: Yeah. A lot of innovation. Yeah. Yeah. I I totally, totally agree. And I, I think like, you know, some other people that I've been, been speaking to, that are like financial planners and stuff like that. They're like saying that, you know, these big tech stocks are still paying out great dividends. And like, even though they seem like they're kind of saturated in the market, they just keep on growing, you know, take Apple, for example, like they were like a $1 trillion company and now they're just like two point two or something. Yeah. Two. <laughs> so it's like, um, absolutely. Like there, there are always opportunities to take advantage of. And I think that, um, you know, I think maybe older millennials were kind of like in, in the shadow of their boomer parents being like, oh, well, you know, we bought property. Why haven't you bought pop- property anymore? Um, and now that's kind of changing um, because we do have these new opportunities coming up. You know, with that, what, what type of mentality should one have when they're holding, like when, when they're with their financial goals? Because I feel like it's, it's, it's kind of a mental game almost.
1: It's a mental, I mean, finance and especially investing is a mental game. I, um, I think that it's, it's easy to get discouraged, especially through the downtimes. Like, you know, when you see the portfolio go down, like we did in March of last year and recently with crypto portfolios, with the big sell-off we just had, And it's easy to just get messed up in the head over that stuff. So, you know, what I try to tell people is you got to think long-term. You got to, when in doubt, zoom out always. Mm -hmm. Look at prior, look at historical price action. What has the market done? We've seen multiple corrections in the market over the years. We've seen multiple uh, crises. We've seen um, cryptocurrency do some pretty crazy stuff multiple times, like a 50% correction is a garden varietal correction, almost for cryptocurrency. It's normal, which is crazy, but it's one of the most volatile asset classes in the world, or it's the most volatile asset class. Sorry. Um, And I think that it takes a lot of of work to think long-term and shift to, okay, I don't want to panic and then end up making a bad decision that I'm going to regret later, which most people do. Half of a, half of an advisor's job is usually t- t- talking people off of the ledge yeah. when that kind of stuff <laughs> happens, because it's like, yeah, it's hard mentally. Yeah. Um, and also, things can happen if you start to get some momentum with your finances and then you get a big unexpected expense, you know, yeah. um, and then you get discouraged and then you feel like you're never going to get out of it. And that's why I have this mentality of always thinking about what's the worst that can happen <laughs> and plan and planning for it ahead of time. Cause something will, if something can go wrong, it will. And just planning ahead of time and having that emergency fund and, having the right insurance in place and knowing how to manage your portfolio with no emotions and think think about the long-term goals, I think all can help a lot.
0: Yeah, that's wonderful. Um, You know, like, I think it says it in your YouTube channel, She Talks Finance, but a large part of your mission is empowering women to take charge of their finances. And while we see this landscape changing, what do you think prevents the modern woman from getting started in, you know, their personal finance journey and in investing?
1: I think the overwhelm of the technicals of it all. Mm. I mean, like I said, there's there's a lot to learn. And even you, I mean, you can teach yourself and it still can overwhelming to learn all the jargon and and sometimes when you start to dip your toe into the learning it pushes people away even more because it's mm. like whoa 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 whoa, whoa. Yeah. I, I wanted to learn about an, a traditional IRA and now here I am and there's all these other rules and there's all this other stuff and it's like what's okay, going no. on yeah yeah and, and I and I I think a lot of you know honestly, a lot of women that I talked to recently are so motivated, Mm -hmm. so motivated to learn. And I think it's just the fear of the overwhelm and the fear of, of feeling stupid or feeling like you don't know, and something's wrong with you for not knowing. And that is something I'm trying to undo with a lot of people is let them know, like, this is a safe space, like finance, asking questions in finance, you have to be able to do it without mm-hmm. feeling stupid. You have to be able to do it without someone yelling at you, yeah. <laughs> you know? oh. and telling you like, like, you know, there are pre- finance professionals that, um, that just get, they yell at you and they make you feel little. And, and like, yeah. that's the exact opposite of what you want, especially as a woman coming into this space.
0: Yeah. It's, um, I think like, you know, what you said about like women, maybe like feeling stupid on the approach. And I, I personally, you know, I started my career in crypto in like 2014 and I luckily didn't have this fear, but I did realize that a lot of women did. And it was things like, you know, just paying money and not asking any questions, or even if they got the bill and the bill was wrong, like not wanting to, you know, ask like, Hey, like, can you please fix this? Or there's this issue. Um, do you think it really does just come down to like, maybe like self confidence?
1: Yeah. Money can easily make somebody feel not confident very Mm. quickly. I would say,
0: Yeah. And Um, like, how, how would one go about building that confidence around money? Is it just like, if you set small goals for yourself and you're able to achieve them, it will just build over time because, you know, you started at 16, like that's a really young age. And like, did you have that, I guess that like fear or like self-confidence around money at an early age or like, how did you get through that?
1: one, one concept at a time. And Mm -hmm. I had many, many periods in my journey where I didn't ask questions when I wanted to Mm. all the time. And I would literally spend hours just trying to figure it out on my own on the internet without asking anybody because I didn't want to sound stupid. And I felt stupid for not knowing. Mm. I hate even using that word, but It's Um, such a harsh
0: word, isn't it? Like stupid. It's It's just such a a harsh harsh word.
1: Yeah. Um, But I I took it one step at a time. And I always tell people, think of personal finance as an onion. Mm. You have to peel back the layers one layer at a time. If you don't and you try to go all in on, you know, too much at one time, you're going to overwhelm yourself. Master one thing. And then move on to the next thing. I, and, and just always be listening to podcasts or reading, a, reading something on, you know, a good source on the internet or watching the right YouTube video influencers or, you know, search for financial planners and CPAs that are doing content because they are. And it's yeah. good content and you yeah. can learn a lot. Or prior financial advisors that are doing podcasts now and doing education, you know, like all of these different things that you can do and just constantly be improving and take one step forward, and you'll get there and you'll be feeling super confident and you'll know probably more <laughs> at one point than most people in the room.
0: Most yeah. so yeah, I, I think like the the point of of like where it really meant something to me to like be able to be, I guess, like financially free was being able to help other people. And I think like as a woman, like when you can start doing that, it, you kind of realize you feel like, oh my gosh, like I have so much ability. Um, and it really kind of unlocks a lot. And, you know, I, I know that, um you know, generally in like a, a heterosexual relationship with a man and woman, they tend to you know, rely on the man to deal with the finances. Um, And I I remember like you saying in one of like your interviews or something like that, that like women actually outlive men most of the time. Um, We do. Yeah. And like, therefore, like we really should be getting ahead of our finances. But, you know, just before, like that's a really good reason as to why. But how important do you think are our relationships to our financial well-being?
1: I think that, Money, as much as we hate to admit it, I think that money should not control our emotional well-being. We should obviously be able to find happiness in ourselves and the people around us. And money, money is not everything. But I also think it's important to accept that money, it's really hard to do life without money. Mm. Um, in some capacity,
0: regardless of who you're with, even if they're the perfect person for you. Like if you are under pressure of money, like that, that can cripple anybody.
1: It can. And a lot of women end up in staying in abusive relationships because they can't afford to leave literally. And so getting that relationship with money, going yourself and understanding it better and just doing your own uh, lear- learning and going on that journey can help a woman in that situation, build the confidence to say, Oh, I can, I can leave. I can figure this out. You know um, it's tough because money can be the root of a lot of re- relationship issues. And it's a lot to do with the fact that we behaviorally all have different ways of feeling about money and, and handling money and, and, I think this is why education is so important because there really is a baseline strategy that everybody can be following. And obviously everybody's money situation is different, but the formula is actually the same um, generally. And everybody should kind of be thinking of it the same way. Like, Oh, if I have a bunch of debt, maybe I shouldn't go buy this, it's $1,500 purse, you know, like, but people do it anyway, because that gives them their dopamine hit. And there's almost something, uh, inside them that makes them think that that's a better decision. So it's a lot of getting real with yourself. It's a lot of getting real with, about your partner, how your partner handles money, understanding their, uh, money language, you know how you have the love language. Yeah, there's money language. Everybody's
0: well, in my opinion. Oh well, <laughs> let's go into that because it's like that's that's so that's very interesting because I've only heard of love languages, not money languages. So let's. let's I mean, I, I into that. I made it up, but it, it's, it's definitely it's not official. <laughs> Let's make it official right now.
1: (laughs) You know how some people, they um, need physical touch to feel love. They need uh, acts of service to feel love. Um, I think that as we have love languages that make us feel loved, we have money languages, which is like our emotional ways of thinking and handling money. Some people are addicted to gambling and they absolutely cannot keep Cash in their hands if they tried, you know. They're just something in them is like, I have money, I need to go spend it. Whether whether it's gambling or a shopping addiction or, you know, whatever it is, um, and that is a behavior that it needs to obviously be changed. It's it's and then some people are addicted to saving money and they're frugal. Everyone's got the frugal friend that will not. Even they, they could be, I have a friend that's a multimillionaire and he's so frugal. And it's like, you know, um, that's a characteristic, uh, I, I guess you call it a money language. And then you have people that are just all about investing and that's all they want to do is just invest, invest, invest. And I don't know, everyone's just got their their way of doing money, yeah. whether it's one spectrum or the other. Um, I actually was talking to a friend of mine whose partner spends money a lot loosely on certain items, like uh, collectibles, right? Um, and to her, that's a problem, and it's like to him, he sees it as okay to her. She sees it as an issue. He should be investing that money instead. Yeah. So it's just working through all of our different money personalities or money love languages yeah. and understanding what yours is so that you can either fix it if it needs to be fixed or, or maybe it's good.
0: And yeah. it's not one that, that needs to be fixed. I Yeah. I, you know, I think it's really interesting because it's like uh, for those who are maybe like even dating or like trying to think about you know, being with somebody long-term, the conversation around money could just be so, such a difficult one to have. And like a lot of the effects of trying to understand your partner's money language doesn't really emerge until maybe like two years to relationship where like you guys are start starting to probably have more financial responsibility together. But I think it's, it's important to have these conversations early um, and to have them in the right way. And yeah, I, I think it's actually genius. Like knowing somebody's love language and their money language is like a pretty good place to start. Um, so, you know, like, I, I just love your story so much because it's like, you started at such a young age, like at 16 and over time, like I, I've seemed to see that your personal, um, or like, you know, your portfolio or how you're investing has changed. You've gone from, and I think you still are like, you know, owning and running several businesses. Um, mm-hmm. you went from trading, like essentially trading stocks into being a long term stock investor. Um, it sounds to me that like you're very comfortable with pivoting, or is it that you kind of like mastered one domain and you start to just add to like your, yeah, your repertoire of like what you can do? How have you kind of estimated for yourself to like make those changes over time? Yeah. When's the right time?
1: I've absolutely become very comfortable with pivoting when it comes to investing. You have to
0: be comfortable with
1: pivoting Mm. because yes, I started, I started in the day trading world, day trading futures and then day trading stocks. And obviously the market got smarter and smarter and that got harder and harder. And, you know, the algorithms, you know, you couldn't beat them and um, the strategy stopped working and that's when I was like, okay, this isn't working anymore. What is working? How can I do this? And that's where I started getting into swing trading and holding positions longer. And then th- things were working better. And, um, and then I met a close, close friend of mine. Uh, his name is Travis. And he ran a hedge fund for years. And I met him. And learned that he was a fundamental stock investor. So that was my introduction into fundamentals because I was a technical trader. Basically, I just looked at price charts and I I did technical analysis, and that's how I made my decisions. And so I learned about fundamental investing from him. And from there, it was like, whoa, like the world, the investing world for me just opened up. I changed my strategy completely. I'm, much more long-term, um, f- I'm more long-term focused and fundamentally focused. And I'm just so much happier doing that than I ever was trying to day trade. Yeah. <laughs> and Being in front of the screen so much and just, the charms. I mean, <laughs> it was, it was a good introduction. It, it definitely helped me learn. It's kind of like the school of hard knocks. It definitely helped me learn a lot about the markets. And it gave me my technical background, which I use all the time. Um, but I've been able to really uh, shift into more of that long-term focused investment strategy. I still, I still swing trade occasionally. I'll take a, a swing trade if the setup is there. Um, but for the most part, I have focused more on the long-term strategy.
0: What would you say um, are the areas of fundamental investing that people should understand.
1: So it's funny, I actually just recorded yesterday, a YouTube video about this. <laughs> and there were five things. Um, the first thing is understanding, like in terms of, if, like, if you find a company you like how to do fundamental analysis, is that essentially the question? Yeah. Yeah. The first thing is if you find a company find out if their revenue is growing and at what rate you know are we looking at high growth rates are we looking at slower growth rates are we looking at negative growth rates um that's kind of like the first step because if a company is growing revenue uh in a negative way and it's going in the wrong direction boom stop, you know, like don't even look at it. (laughs) It may not be worth it. Maybe it is. Maybe it's a turnaround story. If it's a turnaround story, that's another thing. But that's kind of the first thing. And then you got to get into things like looking if the company has any debt. If the debt is not bad, but debt in a company that's uh, not growing revenues, that has a lot of debt in a dying industry, that's bad. You know, that's that's your JCPenney. That's your Sears. That's your Um, is that your um, GameStop? (laughs) GameStop is trying to turn around They're They're like a turnaround story apparently. Uh, so yeah, we'll see. Um, but a, a few other things is like, I look at different valuation metrics like price to earnings ratios, price to sales ratios, um, or maybe, uh, enterprise value to sales if the company is not having positive earnings yet. Um, Because, and I don't know if I mentioned that, but earnings, like earnings would be the next thing is uh, growing revenues is first, then second, are they profitable or not? Mm. And just because a company isn't profitable doesn't mean that it's a bad company. They could just be reinvesting in the business um, and that's fine. So those are just some of the things that I look for.
0: Yeah. I think like by the time this video comes out, your video would have been like out already. So I'll make sure to put it in the description box. Um, but you know, one of like the most hilarious, and this is how I actually originally came across you was one of your most hilarious videos, um, that you did on your channel was essentially like refuting these TikTok advisors. (laughs) And, um, you know, like as like a, as a CFP, you know, like you're you're licensed to do this type of stuff. Like you definitely know your stuff. How have you seen the financial planning landscape change um, over time as like the rise of democratization of like financial literacy is like coming about? You know, where where do you see this all going? Um, Should people take financial advice online with a grain of salt? What do you think?
1: Mm -hmm. yeah, definitely be careful who you take your financial advice from. One of the problems with it is even in the advisor industry, Everybody's got a different opinion. I mean, you could talk to one advisor that's like, "Hey, value stocks are the way, and that's the only way." And then another one is like, "Growth stocks, innovation." You know, <laughs> yeah. and that's just an example. But everybody's got a different opinion when it comes to finances. I mean, for the most part, um, I guess it depends on the topic you're trying to dive into. But I would say that the the, the financial industry has gone in a great direction. Uh, Not only have fees from brokerages been completely nixed or reduced, fees from advisors are starting to be compressed as well. So that's making having a professional a lot more affordable for people. And the other thing that I think is super cool is advisors are starting to do hourly rates. So essentially, most advisors want uh, you to have a a big lump sum of money usually a certain minimum to even work with them and then they charge you yearly for that but some are doing hourly now to where it's giving people way more access to a financial professional to be able to ask questions so what i what i like to tell people is learn as much as you can on your, on your own and really understand the financial landscape and, and the foundation of all these different topics that a professional would be working with you on. Because when you understand it, you're going to have s- such a more fulfilling relationship with that advisor. And instead of them talking at you and telling you what to do, you can rebuttal and be like, oh okay I love that idea but what about this strategy or what about yeah. this or why are we not doing this
0: you can be more active in like your own financial planning and like less kind of yeah separate from it which I think like a lot of people tend to be like oh well you can just manage my finances and all of a sudden their financial planner has done something that they don't agree with exactly so, yeah this active, and it happens yeah. it happens like
1: I've seen it a million times uh, and so that's Even in my own life, I've had to go to a CPA and be like, hey, why aren't we doing this? Or why didn't we (laughs) look at this? So it's just the lay of the land. And that's why I think education, even if you don't want to manage it yourself, is so important. But with that said, too, you can do your own plan and you can take it to somebody and say, hey, I kind of know what I'm doing here. My financial situation isn't that difficult but can I just pay you hourly to just take a look and just make sure I'm doing everything right? Yeah. And that I think is so cool. And we did not have that, you know, absolutely for, for years.
0: Yeah. It's almost just like you're doing your own plan and then you're getting just a professional to give it the okay or like, be like, oh, well actually this is great, but we could even make it even better. Um, but exactly. you know, like, Thank you so much for coming on Prosper Podcast. Um, I know that after this, people are really going to want to get in touch with you. What's the best way for them to do that?
1: So I have uh, on social media, I'm on YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram as at SheTalksFinance. Watch out for impersonators.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So many of them.
1: Uh, uh, And then I'm also, uh, I have have a website, SheTalksFinance.com.
0: Awesome. Well, thank you so much. It was lovely having you on and I hope to have you on again. Absolutely. Anytime. Add it up.